Section 8 of Psychopathology of Everyday Life. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Psychopathology of Everyday Life by Sigmund Freud. Translated by A. A. Brill. Read by Mary Schneider. Chapter 8 Erroneously Carried Out Actions. I shall give another passage from the above mentioned work of Meringer and Meyer. Quote, lapses in speech do not stand entirely alone they resemble the errors which often occur in our other activities and are quite foolishly termed forgetfulness i am therefore in no way the first to presume that there is a sense and purpose behind the slight functional disturbances of the daily life of healthy people if the lapse in speech which is without doubt a motor function admits of such a conception it is quite natural to transfer to the lapses of our other motor functions the same expectation i have here formed two groups of cases all of these cases in which the faulty effect seems to be the essential element that is the deviation from the intention i denote as erroneously carried out actions the others in which the entire action appears rather inexpedient i call symptomatic and chance actions but no distinct line of demarcation can be formed indeed we are forced to conclude that all divisions used in this treatise are of only descriptive significance and contradict the inner unity of the sphere of manifestation the psychologic understanding of erroneous actions apparently gains little in clearness when we place it under the head of ataxia and especially under cortical ataxia let us rather try to trace the individual examples to their proper determinants to do this i shall again resort to personal observations the opportunities for which i could not very frequently find in myself a in former years when i made more calls at the homes of patients than i do at present it often happened when i stood before a door where i should have knocked or rung the bell that i would pull the key of my own house from my pocket only to replace it quite abashed when i investigated in what patients homes that occurred i had to admit that the faulty action taking out my key instead of ringing the bell signified paying a certain tribute to the house where the error occurred it was equivalent to the thought here i feel at home as it happened only where i possessed the patient's regard naturally i never rang my own doorbell the faulty action was therefore a symbolic representation of a definite thought which was not accepted consciously as serious for in reality the neurologist is well aware that the patient seeks him only so long as he expects to be benefited by him and that his own excessively warm interest for his patient is evinced only as a means of psychic treatment an almost identical repetition of my experience is described by a mater several lines in french follow jones speaks as follows about the use of keys the use of keys is a fertile source of occurrences of this kind of which two examples may be given if i am disturbed in the midst of some engrossing work at home by having to go to the hospital to carry out some routine work i am very apt to find myself trying to open the door of my laboratory there with the key of my desk at home although the two keys are quite unlike each other 
the mistake unconsciously demonstrates where i would rather be at the moment some years ago i was acting in a subordinate position at a certain institution the front door of which was kept locked so that it was necessary to ring for admission on several occasions i found myself making serious attempts to open the door with my house-key each one of the permanent visiting staff of which i aspired to be a member was provided with a key to avoid the trouble of having to wait at the door my mistake thus expressed the desire to be on a similar footing and to be quite at home there a similar experience is reported by dr hans Sachs of vienna i always carry two keys with me one for the door of my office and one for my residence they are not by any means easily interchanged as the office key is at least three times as big as my house key besides i carry the first in my trouser pocket and the other in my vest pocket yet it often happened that i noticed in reaching the door that while ascending the stairs i had taken out the wrong key i decided to undertake a statistical examination as i was daily in about the same emotional state when i stood before both doors i thought that the interchanging of the two keys must show a regular tendency if they were differently determined physically observation of later occurrences showed that i regularly took out my house key before the office door only on one occasion was this reversed i came home tired knowing that i would find there a guest i made an attempt to unlock the door with the naturally too big office key b at a certain time twice a day for six years i was accustomed to wait for admission before a door in the second story of the same house and during this long period of time it happened twice within a short interval that i climbed a story higher on the first of these occasions i was in an ambitious daydream which allowed me to mount always higher and higher in fact at that time i heard the door in question open as i put my foot on the first step of the third floor on the other occasion i again went too far engrossed in thought as soon as i became aware of it i turned back and sought to snatch the dominating fantasy i found that i was irritated over a criticism of my works in which the reproach was made that i always went too far which i replaced by the less respectful expression climbed too high c for many years a reflex hammer and a tuning fork lay side by side on my desk one day i hurried off at the close of my office hours as i wished to catch a certain train and despite broad daylight put the tuning fork in my coat pocket in place of the reflex hammer my attention was called to the mistake through the weight of the object drawing down my pocket any one accustomed to reflect on such slight occurrences would without hesitation explain the faulty action by the hurry of the moment and excuse it in spite of that i preferred to ask myself why i took the tuning fork instead of the hammer the haste could just as well have been a motive for carrying out the action properly in order not to waste time over the correction who last grasped the tuning fork was the question which immediately flashed through my mind it happened that only a few days ago an idiotic child whose attention to sensory impressions i was testing had been so fascinated by the tuning fork that i found it difficult to tear it away from him could it mean therefore that i was an idiot to be sure so it would seem 
as the next thought which associated itself with the hammer was hammer hebrew for ass but what was the meaning of this abusive language we must here inquire into the situation i hurried to a consultation at a place on the western railroad to see a patient who according to the anamnesis which i received by letter had fallen from a balcony some months before and since then had been unable to walk the physician who invited me wrote that he was still unable to say whether he was dealing with a spinal injury or traumatic neurosis hysteria that was what i was to decide this could therefore be a reason to be particularly careful in this delicate differential diagnosis as it is my colleagues think that hysteria is diagnosed far too carelessly where more serious matters are concerned but the abuse is not yet justified yes the next association was that the small railroad station is the same place in which some years previous i saw a young man who after a certain emotional experience could not walk properly at that time i diagnosed his malady as hysteria and later put him under psychic treatment but it afterward turned out that my diagnosis was neither incorrect nor correct a large number of the patient's symptoms were hysterical and they promptly disappeared in the course of treatment but back of these there was a visible remnant that could not be reached by therapy and could be referred only to multiple sclerosis those who saw the patient after me had no difficulty in recognizing the organic affliction i could scarcely have acted or judged differently still the impression was that of a serious mistake the promise of a cure which i had given him could naturally not be kept the mistake in grasping the tuning fork instead of the hammer could therefore be translated into the following words you fool you ass get yourself together this time and be careful not to diagnose again a case of hysteria where there is an incurable disease as you did in this place years ago in the case of the poor man and fortunately for this little analysis even if unfortunately for my mood this same man now having a very spastic gait had been to my office a few days before one day after the examination of the idiotic child we observe that this time it is the voice of self-criticism which makes itself perceptible through the mistake in grasping the erroneously carried out action is specially suited to express self-reproach the present mistake attempts to represent the mistake which was committed elsewhere d it is quite obvious that grasping the wrong thing may also serve a whole series of other obscure purposes here is a first example it is very seldom that i break anything i am not particularly dexterous but by virtue of the anatomic integrity of my nervous and muscular apparatus there are apparently no grounds in me for such awkward movements with undesirable results i can recall no object in my home the counterpart of which i have ever broken owing to the narrowness of my study it has often been necessary for me to work in the most uncomfortable position among my numerous antique clay and stone objects of which i have a small collection so much is this true that onlookers have expressed fear lest i topple down something and shatter it but it never happened 
then why did i brush to the floor the cover of my simple inkwell so that it broke into pieces my inkstand is made of a flat piece of marble which is hollowed out for the reception of the glass inkwell the inkwell has a marble cover with a knob of the same stone a circle of bronze statuettes with small terracotta figures is set behind this inkstand i seated myself at the desk to write i made a remarkably awkward outward movement with the hand holding the penholder and so swept the cover of the inkstand which already lay on the desk to the floor it is not difficult to find the explanation some hours before my sister had been in the room to look at some of my new acquisitions she found them very pretty and then remarked now the desk really looks very well only the inkstand does not match you must get a prettier one i accompanied my sister out and did not return for several hours but then as it seems i performed the execution of the condemned inkstand did i perhaps conclude from my sister's words that she intended to present me with a prettier inkstand on the next festive occasion and did i shatter the unsightly old one in order to force her to carry out her signified intention if that be so then my swinging motion was only apparently awkward in reality it was most skilful and designed as it understood how to avoid all the valuable objects located near it i actually believe that we must accept this explanation for a whole series of seemingly accidental awkward movements it is true that on the surface these seem to show something violent and irregular similar to spastic ataxic movements but on examination they seem to be dominated by some intention and they accomplish their aim with a certainty that cannot be generally credited to conscious arbitrary motions in both characteristics the force as well as the sure aim they show besides a resemblance to the motor manifestations of the hysterical neurosis and in part also to the motor accomplishments of somnambulism which here as well as there point to the same unfamiliar modification of the functions of innervation in latter years since i have been collecting such observations it has happened several times that i have shattered and broken objects of some value but the examination of these cases convinced me that it was never the result of accident or of my unintentional awkwardness thus one morning while in my bathrobe and straw slippers i followed a sudden impulse as i passed a room and hurled a slipper from my foot against the wall so that it brought down a beautiful little marble venus from its bracket as it fell to pieces i recited quite unmoved the following verse from bush ach de venus ist perdue clicker adams von medici this crazy action and my calmness at the sight of the damage is explained in the then existing situation we had a very sick person in the family of whose recovery i had personally despaired that morning i had been informed that there was a great improvement i know that i had said to myself after all she will live my attack of destructive madness served therefore as the expression of a grateful feeling toward fate and afforded me the opportunity of performing an act of sacrifice just as if i had vowed if she gets well i will give this or that as a sacrifice that i chose the venus of medici as this sacrifice was only gallant homage to the convalescent 
but even to-day it is still incomprehensible to me that i decided so quickly aimed so accurately and struck no other object in close proximity another breaking in which i utilized a penholder falling from my hand also signified a sacrifice but this time it was a pious offering to avert some evil i had once allowed myself to reproach a true and worthy friend for no other reason than certain manifestations which i interpreted from his unconscious activity he took it amiss and wrote me a letter in which he bade me not to treat my friends by psychoanalysis i had to admit that he was right and appeased him with my answer while writing this letter i had before me my latest acquisition a small handsome glazed egyptian figure i broke it in the manner mentioned and then immediately knew that i had caused this mischief to avert a greater one luckily both the friendship and the figure could be so cemented that the break would not be noticed a third case of breaking had a less serious connection it was only a disguised execution to use an expression from vischer's och einer of an object that no longer suited my taste for quite a while i had carried a cane with a silver handle through no fault of mine the silver plate was once damaged and poorly repaired soon after the cane was returned i mirthfully used the handle to angle for the leg of one of my children in that way it naturally broke and i got rid of it the indifference with which we accept the resulting damage in all these cases may certainly be taken as evidence for the existence of an unconscious purpose in their execution e as can sometimes be demonstrated by analysis the dropping of objects or the overturning and breaking of the same are very frequently utilized as the expression of unconscious streams of thought but more often they serve to represent the superstitious or odd significances connected therewith in popular sayings the meanings attached to the spilling of salt the overturning of a wine-glass the sticking of a knife dropped to the floor and so on are well known i shall discuss later the right to investigate such superstitious interpretations here i shall simply observe that the individual awkward acts do not by any means always have the same meaning but depending on the circumstances they serve to represent now this or that purpose recently we passed through a period in my house during which an unusual number of glass and china dishes were broken i myself largely contributed to this damage this little endemic was readily explained by the fact that it preceded the public betrothal of my eldest daughter on such festivities it is customary to break some dishes and utter at the same time some felicitating expression this custom may signify a sacrifice or express any other symbolic sense when servants destroy fragile objects through dropping them we certainly do not think in the first place of a psychologic motive for it still some obscure motives are not improbable even here nothing lies farther from the uneducated than the appreciation of art and works of art our servants are dominated by a foolish hostility against these productions especially when the objects whose worth they do not realize become a source of a great deal of work for them 
on the other hand persons of the same education and origin employed in scientific institutions often distinguish themselves by great dexterity and reliability in the handling of delicate objects as soon as they begin to identify themselves with their masters and consider themselves an essential part of the staff i shall here add the report of a young mechanical engineer which gives some insight into the mechanism of damaging things Quote, some time ago i worked with many others in the laboratory of the high school on a series of complicated experiments on the subject of elasticity it was a work that we undertook of our own volition but it turned out that it took up more of our time than we expected one day while going to the laboratory with f he complained of losing so much time especially on this day when he had so many other things to do at home i could only agree with him and he added half jokingly alluding to an incident in the previous week let us hope that the machine will refuse to work so that we can interrupt the experiment and go home earlier in arranging the work it happened that f was assigned to the regulation of the pressure valve that is it was his duty to carefully open the valve and let the fluid under pressure flow from the accumulator into the cylinder of the hydraulic press the leader of the experiment stood at the manometer and called a loud stop when the maximum pressure was reached at this command f grasped the valve and turned it with all his force to the left all valves without any exception are closed to the right this caused a sudden full pressure in the accumulator of the press and as there was no outlet the connecting pipe burst this was quite a trifling accident to the machine but enough to force us to stop our work for the day and go home it is characteristic moreover that some time later on discussing this occurrence my friend f could not recall the remark that i positively remember his having made similarly to fall to make a misstep or to slip need not always be interpreted as an entirely accidental miscarriage of a motor action the linguistic double meaning of these expressions points to diverse hidden fantasies which may present themselves through the giving up of bodily equilibrium i recall a number of lighter nervous ailments in women and girls which made their appearance after falling without injury and which were conceived as traumatic hysteria as a result of the shock of the fall at that time i already entertained the impression that these conditions had a different connection that the fall was already a preparation of the neurosis and an expression of the same unconscious fantasies of sexual content which may be taken as the moving forces behind the symptoms was not this very thing meant in the proverb which says when a maiden falls she falls on her back we can also add to these mistakes the case of one who gives a beggar a gold piece in place of a copper or a silver coin the solution of such mishandling is simple it is an act of sacrifice designed to mollify fate to avert evil and so on if we hear a tender mother or aunt express concern regarding the health of a child directly before taking a walk during which she displays her charity contrary to her usual habit we can no longer doubt the sense of this apparently undesirable accident in this manner our faulty acts make possible the practice of all those pious and superstitious customs which must shun the light of consciousness because of the strivings against them in our unbelieving reason 
f that accidental actions are really intentional will find no greater credence in any other sphere than in sexual activity where the border between the intention and the accident hardly seems discernible that an apparently clumsy movement may be utilized in a most refined way for sexual purposes i can verify by a nice example from my own experience in a friend's house i met a young girl visitor who excited in me a feeling of fondness which i had long believed extinct thus putting me in a jovial loquacious and complacent mood at that time i endeavored to find out how this came about as a year before this same girl made no impression on me as the girl's uncle a very old man entered the room we both jumped to our feet to bring him a chair which stood in the corner she was more agile than i and also nearer the object so that she was the first to take possession of the chair she carried it with its back to her holding both hands on the edge of the seat as i got there later and did not give up the claim to carrying the chair i suddenly stood directly back of her and with both my arms was embracing her from behind and for a moment my hands touched her lap i naturally solved the situation as quickly as it came about nor did it occur to anybody how dexterously i had taken advantage of this awkward movement occasionally i have had to admit to myself that the annoying awkward stepping aside on the street whereby for some seconds one steps here and there yet always in the same direction as the other person until finally both stop facing each other that is barring one's way repeats in ill-mannered provoking conduct of earlier times and conceals erotic purposes under the mask of awkwardness from my psychoanalysis of neurotics i know that the so-called naivete of young people and children is frequently only such a mask employed in order that the subject may say or do the indecent without restraint w steckel has reported similar observations in regard to himself Quote, i entered a house and offered my right hand to the hostess in a most remarkable way i thereby loosened the bow which held together her loose morning gown i was conscious of no dishonorable intent still i executed this awkward movement with the agility of a juggler g the effects which result from mistakes of normal persons are as a rule of a most harmless nature just for this reason it would be particularly interesting to find out whether mistakes of considerable importance which could be followed by serious results as for example those of physicians or druggists fall within the range of our point of view as i am seldom in a position to deal with active medical matters i can only report one mistake from my own experience i treated a very old woman whom i visited twice daily for several years my medical activities were limited to two acts which i performed during my morning visits i dropped a few drops of an eye lotion into her eyes and gave her a hypodermic injection of morphine i prepared regularly two bottles a blue one containing the eye lotion and a white one containing the morphine solution while performing these duties my thoughts were mostly occupied with something else for they had been repeated so often that the attention acted as if free one morning i noticed that the automaton worked wrong 
i had put the dropper into the white instead of into the blue bottle and had dropped into the eyes the morphine instead of the lotion i was greatly frightened but then calmed myself through the reflection that a few drops of a two per cent solution of morphine would not likely do any harm even if left in the conjunctival sac the cause of the fright manifestly belonged elsewhere in attempting to analyze the slight mistake i first thought of the phrase to seize the old woman by mistake which pointed out the short way to the solution i had been impressed by a dream which a young man had told me the previous evening the contents of which could be explained only on the basis of sexual intercourse with his own mother the strangeness of the fact that the oedipus legend takes no offence at the age of queen jocasta seemed to me to agree with the assumption that in being in love with one's mother we never deal with the present personality but with her youthful memory picture carried over from our childhood such incongruities always show themselves where one fantasy fluctuating between two periods is made conscious and is then bound to one definite period deep in thoughts of this kind i came to my patient of over ninety i must have been well on the way to grasp the universal character of the oedipus fable as the correlation of the fate which the oracle pronounces for i made a blunder in reference to or on the old woman here again the mistake was harmless of the two possible errors taking the morphine solution for the eye or the eye lotion for the injection i chose the one by far the least harmful the question still remains open whether in mistakes in handling things which may cause serious harm we can assume an unconscious intention as in the cases here discussed the following case from brill's experience corroborates the assumption that even serious mistakes are determined by unconscious intentions Quote, a physician received a telegram informing him that his aged uncle was very sick in spite of important family affairs at home he at once repaired to that distant town because his uncle was really his father who had cared for him since he was one and a half years old when his own father had died on reaching there he found his uncle suffering from pneumonia and as the old man was an octogenarian the doctors held out no hope for his recovery it was simply a question of a day or two was the local doctor's verdict although a prominent physician in a big city he refused to cooperate in the treatment as he found that the case was properly managed by the local doctor and he could not suggest anything to improve matters since death was daily expected he decided to remain to the end he waited a few days but the sick man struggled hard and although there was no question of any recovery because of the many new complications which had arisen death seemed to be deferred for a while one night before retiring he went into the sick-room and took his uncle's pulse as it was quite weak he decided not to wait for the doctor and administered a hypodermic injection the patient grew rapidly worse and died within a few hours there was something strange in the last symptoms and on later attempting to replace the tube of hypodermic tablets into the case he found to his consternation that he had taken out the wrong tube and instead of a small dose of digitalis he had given a large dose of hyoscine this case was related to me by the doctor after he read my paper on the oedipus complex we agreed that this mistake was determined 
not only by his impatience to get home to his sick child but also by an old resentment and unconscious hostility toward his uncle father it is known that in the more serious cases of psychoneuroses one sometimes finds self-mutilations as symptoms of the disease that the psychic conflict may end in suicide can never be excluded in these cases thus i know from experience which some day i shall support with convincing examples that many apparently accidental injuries happening to such persons are really self-inflicted this is brought about by the fact that there is a constantly lurking tendency to self-punishment usually expressing itself in self-reproach or contributing to the formation of a symptom which skillfully makes use of an external situation the required external situation may accidentally present itself or the punishment tendency may assist it until the way is open for the desired injurious effect such occurrences are by no means rare even in cases of moderate severity and they betray the portion of unconscious intention through a series of special features for example through the striking presence of mind which the patients show in the pretended accidents i will report exhaustively one in place of many such examples from my professional experience a young woman broke her leg below the knee in a carriage accident so that she was bedridden for weeks the striking part of it was the lack of any manifestation of pain and the calmness with which she bore her misfortune this calamity ushered in a long and serious neurotic illness from which she was finally cured by psychotherapy during the treatment i discovered the circumstances surrounding the accident as well as certain impressions which preceded it the young woman with her jealous husband spent some time on the farm of her married sister in company with her numerous other brothers and sisters and with their wives and husbands one evening she gave an exhibition of one of her talents before this intimate circle she danced artistically the can-can to the great delight of her relatives but to the great annoyance of her husband who afterward whispered to her again you have behaved like a prostitute the words took effect we will leave it undecided whether it was just on account of the dance that night she was restless in her sleep and the next forenoon she decided to go out driving she chose the horses herself refusing one team and demanding another her youngest sister wished to have her baby with its nurse accompany her but she opposed this vehemently during the drive she was nervous she reminded the coachman that the horses were getting skittish and as the fidgety animals really produced a momentary difficulty she jumped from the carriage in fright and broke her leg while those remaining in the carriage were uninjured although after the disclosure of these details we can hardly doubt that this accident was really contrived we cannot fail to admire the skill which forced the accident to mete out a punishment so suitable to the crime for as it happened can-can dancing with her became impossible for a long time concerning self-inflicted injuries of my own experience i cannot report anything in calm times but under extraordinary conditions i do not believe myself incapable of such acts when a member of my family complains that he or she has bitten his tongue bruised her finger and so on instead of the expected sympathy i put the question why did you do that 
but I have most painfully squeezed my thumb after a youthful patient acquainted me during the treatment with his intention, naturally not to be taken seriously, of marrying my eldest daughter, while I knew that she was then in a private hospital in extreme danger of losing her life. One of my boys, whose vivacious temperament was wont to put difficulties in the management of nursing him in his illness, had a fit of anger one morning because he was ordered to remain in bed during the forenoon and threatened to kill himself, a way out suggested to him by the newspapers. In the evening he showed me a swelling on the side of his chest, which was the result of bumping against the doorknob. To my ironical question why he did it and what he meant by it, the eleven-year-old child explained, that was my attempt at suicide which I threatened this morning. However, I did not believe that my views on self-inflicted wounds were accessible to my children at that time. Whoever believes in the occurrence of semi-intentional self-inflicted injury, if this awkward expression be permitted, will become prepared to accept through it the fact that aside from conscious intentional suicide, there also exists semi-intentional annihilation with unconscious intentions, which is capable of aptly utilizing a threat against life and masking it as a casual mishap. Such mechanism is by no means rare, for the tendency to self-destruction exists to a certain degree in many more persons than in those who bring it to completion. Self-inflicted injuries are, as a rule, a compromise between this impulse and the forces working against it, and even where it really comes to suicide, the inclination has existed for a long time with less strength or as an unconscious and repressed tendency even suicide consciously committed chooses its time means and opportunity it is quite natural that unconscious suicide should wait for a motive to take upon itself one part of the causation and thus free it from its oppression by taking up the defensive forces of the person these are in no way idle discussions which i here bring up more than one case of apparently accidental misfortune on a horse or out of a carriage has become known to me whose surrounding circumstances justified the suspicion of suicide for example during an officer's horse race one of the riders fell from his horse and was so seriously injured that a few days later he succumbed to his injuries his behavior after regaining consciousness was remarkable in more than one way and his conduct previous to the accident was still more remarkable he had been greatly depressed by the death of his beloved mother had crying spells in the society of his comrades and to his trusted friends had spoken of the tedium vitae he had wished to quit the service in order to take part in a war in africa which had no interest for him formerly a keen rider he had later evaded riding whenever possible finally before the horse race from which he could not withdraw he expressed a sad foreboding which most expectedly in the light of our conception came true it may be contended that it is quite comprehensible without any further cause that a person in such a state of nervous depression cannot manage a horse as well as on normal days i quite agree with that only I should think to look for the mechanism of this motor inhibition through nervousness in the intention of self-destruction here emphasized. 
Dr. Ferenzi has left to me for publication the analysis of an apparently accidental injury by shooting, which he explained as an unconscious attempt at suicide. I can only agree with his deduction. Quote, J. A., 22 years old, Carpenter, visited me on the 18th of January, 1908. He wished to know whether the bullet which pierced his left temple, March 20th, 1907, could or should be removed by operation. Aside from occasional not very severe headaches, he felt quite well. Also, the objective examination showed nothing besides the characteristic powder wound on the left temple, so that I advised against an operation. When questioned concerning the circumstances of the case, he asserted that he injured himself accidentally. He was playing with his brother's revolver, and believing that it was not loaded, he pressed it with his left hand against the left temple. He is not left-handed. Put his finger on the trigger, and the shot went off. There were three bullets in the six-shooter. I asked him how he came to carry the revolver and he answered that it was at the time of his army conscription that he took it to the inn the evening before because he feared fights at the army examination he was considered unfit for service on account of varicose veins which caused him much mortification he went home and played with the revolver he had no intention of hurting himself but the accident occurred on further questioning whether he was otherwise satisfied with his fortune, he answered with a sigh and related a love affair with a girl who loved him in return but nevertheless left him. She emigrated to America out of sheer avariciousness. He wanted to follow her, but his parents prevented him. His lady love left on the 20th of January, 1907, just two months before the accident despite all these suspicious elements the patients insisted that the shot was an accident i was firmly convinced however that the neglect to find out whether the revolver was loaded before he began to play with it as well as the self-inflicted wound were physically determined he was still under the depressing effects of the unhappy love affair and apparently wanted to forget everything in the army when this hope too was taken away from him he resorted to playing with the weapon that is to an unconscious attempt at suicide the fact that he did not hold the revolver in the right but in the left hand speaks conclusively in favor of the fact that he was really only playing that is he did not wish consciously to commit suicide another analysis of an apparently accidental self-inflicted wound detailed to me by an observer recalls the saying he who digs a pit for others falls in himself Quote, mrs x belonging to a good middle-class family is married and has three children she is somewhat nervous but never needed any strenuous treatment as she could sufficiently adapt herself to life one day she sustained a rather striking though transitory disfigurement of her face in the following manner she stumbled in a street that was in process of repair and struck her face against the house wall the whole face was bruised the eyelids blue and edematous and as she feared that something might happen to her eyes she sent for the doctor after she was calmed i asked her but why did you fall in such a manner she answered that just before the accident she warned her husband who had been suffering for some months from a joint affliction to be very careful in the street 
and she often had the experience that in some remarkable way those things occurred to her against which she warned others i was not satisfied with this as the determination of her accident and asked her whether she had not something else to tell me yes just before the accident she noticed a nice picture in a shop on the other side of the street which she suddenly desired as an ornament for her nursery and wished to buy it at once she thereupon walked across to the shop without looking at the street stumbled over a heap of stones and fell with her face against the wall without making the slightest effort to shield herself with her hands the intention to buy the picture was immediately forgotten and she walked home in haste but why were you not more careful i asked oh she said perhaps it was only a punishment for that episode which i confided to you has this episode still bothered you yes later i regretted it very much i considered myself wicked criminal and immoral but at the time i was almost crazy with nervousness she referred to an abortion which was started by a quack and had to be brought to completion by a gynecologist this abortion was initiated with the consent of her husband as both wished on account of their pecuniary circumstances to be spared from being additionally blessed with children she said i had often reproached myself with the words you really had your child killed and i feared that such a crime would not remain unpunished now that you have assured me that there is nothing seriously wrong with my eyes i am quite assured i have already been sufficiently punished this accident therefore was on the one hand a retribution for her sin but on the other hand it may have served as an escape from a more dire punishment which she had feared for many months in the moment that she ran to the shop to buy the picture the memory of this whole history with its fears already quite active in her unconscious at the time she warned her husband became overwhelming and could perhaps find expression in words like these but why do you want an ornament for the nursery you who had your child killed you are a murderer the great punishment is surely approaching this thought did not become conscious but instead of it she made use of the situation i might say of the psychologic moment to utilize in a commonplace manner the heap of stones to inflict upon herself this punishment it was for this reason that she did not even attempt to put out her arms while falling and was not much frightened the second and probably lesser determinant of her accident was obviously the self-punishment for her unconscious wish to be rid of her husband who was an accessory to the crime in this affair this was betrayed by her absolutely superfluous warning to be very careful in the street on account of the stones for just because her husband had a weak leg he was very careful in walking if such a rage against one's own integrity in one's own life can be hidden behind apparently accidental awkwardness and motor insufficiency then it is not a big step forward to grasp the possibility of transferring the same conception to mistakes which seriously endanger the life and health of others what i can put forward as evidence for the validity of this conception was taken from my experience with neurotics and hence does not fully meet the demands of this situation i will report a case in which it was not an erroneously carried out act but what may be more aptly termed a symbolic or chance action that gave me the clue which later made possible the solution of the patient's conflict 
i once undertook to improve the marriage relations of a very intelligent man whose differences with his tenderly attached young wife could surely be traced to real causes but he himself admitted could not be altogether explained through them he continually occupied himself with the thought of a separation which he repeatedly rejected because he dearly loved his two small children in spite of this he always returned to that resolution and sought no means to make the situation bearable to himself such an unsettlement of a conflict served to prove to me that there were unconscious and repressed motives which enforced the conflicting conscious thoughts and in such cases i always undertake to end the conflict by psychic analysis one day the man related to me a slight occurrence which had extremely frightened him he was sporting with the older child by far his favorite he tossed it high in the air and repeated this tossing till finally he thrust it so high that its head almost struck the massive gas chandelier almost but not quite or say just about nothing happened to the child except that it became dizzy from fright the father stood transfixed with the child in his arms while the mother merged into an hysterical attack the particular facility of this careless movement with the violent reaction in the parents suggested to me to look upon this accident as a symbolic action which gave expression to an evil intention toward the beloved child i could remove the contradiction of the actual tenderness of this father for his child by referring the impulse to injure it to the time when it was only one and so small that as yet the father had no occasion for tender interest in it then it was easy to assume that this man so little pleased with his wife at that time might have thought if this small being for whom i have no regard whatever should die i would be free and could separate from my wife the wish for the death of this much-loved being must therefore have continued unconsciously from here it was easy to find the way to the unconscious fixation of this wish there was indeed a powerful determinant in a memory from the patient's childhood it referred to the death of a little brother which the mother laid to his father's negligence and which led to serious quarrels with threats of separation between the parents the continued course of my patient's life as well as the therapeutic success confirmed my analysis end of chapter eight